welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Before we jump in, um, I forgot to mention, if you're new to Awaken, we'd love to know who you are. Uh, our commitment to you is like if you would fill out one of those cards with your email uh, or a way to get in contact with you, we will do that. Uh, take you out to coffee. Love to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, if you are a part of Awaken and want to give to Awaken and what God's doing here, all that can go in those buckets there in the front. So please feel free to do that. Um, all right, let's get, let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, so in a former life, I used to be a youth pastor, and I knew that I wanted to be a youth pastor uh, or work with students after an experience I had as a summer camp counselor. How many of you have had a summer camp experience before? Yes, yes. Often life-changing experiences at summer camp for lots of different reasons, some better than others. Um, so I was a, a junior high counselor, and uh, if you've ever worked with junior hires, they hold this really unique space in this, the social stratosphere in our culture. And, uh, and, and when, you're, when you're with them, which is a very nice way of saying bizarre people, uh, if, if you're with them for six days straight, 24 hours a day, you sleep with them, you eat with them, you know, all these kinds of things, a, a break uh, is like, whoa, a really, really great thing. At the end of each week in my summer camp experience, we would do this hike. It was called like, you know, the sunrise hike or whatever. So we'd wake up at the crack of, well, before the crack of dawn, because we had to hike like a mile and a half up this mountain to the top of this mountain where we would all, you know, sit and watch the sunrise. And for me, uh, you know, I loved an active thing. I'm, I'm always been a morning person, and it was, it was. I would, I would always lead this. You know, like kind of set the pace, and so I would get out in front of these junior hires and try to make them keep up with me, which was just tons of fun for me. <laughs> Maybe not for them, but uh, so we'd get up to the, we'd do this hike every week, and we'd get up to the top of this mountain, and uh, and then we would all sit and watch the sunrise. And it was this beautiful place, but there was this spot on this particular like you know uh, ridge or knoll that we would go to. And you could literally like stand on the edge and I would do this every single week. It was like this kind of an adrenaline rush where you'd get as close as you possibly could because if you took one more step, it was like a hundred feet, it was where, where you'd rappel, you know, if you've ever done rappelling where you go down a cliff. Uh, it, like one more step and it's just death. <laughs> like certain death, no, no questions asked. But then, if, you know, like that's one possibility and then you look out in front of you and it's like, you know, the Rocky Mountains, you, you, you can hear John Denver singing to you. I mean, it's like, you know, Purple Mountains and Majesty, like the whole, they, they all make sense, right? Possibility and adventure and life and beauty and like all these things are like, whew, right there, panorama. No need for an iPhone 5, it's just right there. And then the other, you know, like one other step and it's just like, and gonzo. Uh I'm going to read, we're going to, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'll warn you, uh, I'm going to read the entirety of the story of David and Goliath, and uh, as I, as I thought about this story this week, and and was kind of prepping for it, and going over it, and over it, and I was trying to figure out, like, okay, what sections could I read, it was like, just read the story, just like, read the story, like how, I didn't grow up in a liturgical setting, and maybe some of you who did, you know, there's always a reading of the text, and always a reading of it of the story uh, when, the, when, the, when, when you gather. And so I'm going to read the whole story. So I want to warn you, like, you know, fasten your seatbelts. This is a long story. Uh, it's like 50 verses. Uh, 
So if you if it, at any point you might have been wondering like when's he when is this going to like is he almost to the end? Just settle down. Okay? This is the story of David and Goliath. You have heard it before, but I want us to I want us to become re-familiar with it. My good friend Mr. David Stewart said, you know, there's there's a story of a man who lived by the ocean and after a while he stopped hearing the waves. Right? I want us to become I want us to hear the waves again on this story. So just listen. As I read, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkah in Judah. They pitched their tent at Ephes uh, between Sukkah and Essekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height? was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse. He was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons. And in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, "'Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of breads for your brothers,' And hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines and facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked, why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He turned away to someone else and and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. 
What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, for your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But Saul, David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping your father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued it from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and I struck it and killed it. For your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go then and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and his bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. And so he took them off. He took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked, to David, he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and he struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine without a sling and a stone, or with a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine, and he killed him. Pray with me, if you would. God, as we look at this ancient story, I pray that, uh, as we often pray, as I often pray each week, uh, we come and we open this book, and it's my hope, it's my prayer that you would speak, that you would um, be near to us, that you would uh, have a word for us that would be of encouragement or of challenge, an invitation to, um, to live into the people that you've made us to be. Um, so God, as we, as we do this, I pray that your spirit would be uh, empowering what's said. I pray that you would take the things that I've prepared Whatever needs to stand, whatever needs to stay and remain, God, would you use it? Whatever doesn't, let it just fall away. We pray these things in your name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So I'm standing on this cliff, right? And But below me is like death, and before me is like adventure and beauty and wonder. And as I've been reading the Old Testament, as we've been studying these stories in, in Eat This, this series we've been doing, for me, I think, like, often the narrator, the teller of the story presents these kinds of moments, right? Where it's like you walk up with the Israelites to this precipice where it's like you take one step this direction and it is gonzo dead. Like things are over. Or you take one step in this direction, you take one step towards this and it's a game changer. And over and over and over again, we get these kinds of moments in the story where it's like this way or that way, this choice or that choice, this kind of humanity or that kind of humanity. 
And I think that David and Goliath is, a, is exactly that kind of story. So just a little bit of review before we kind of jump in. Um, we've been doing this timeline as of late, and I wanted to sort of change it a little bit and give you some dates. So if you're like a date person or a history person, you have a, a faint idea as to what's going on here. And these dates are rough. They're not like exact but we have, uh, especially once we get into the kings of Israel, we can start actually cross-referencing history and other things going on. So most historians and scholars would say that the Exodus happened somewhere around 1450 B.C. Shortly after that, we have the death of Moses and the people of God going into the land. This is the story of Joshua in the, con- the, the conquest of Canaan. Um, after that, the period of Judges lasts roughly 300 and some years. So it's like 1380-ish to 1050, where we know that Saul becomes the first king of Israel. This is the period where David and Goliath happens, the story we just read, in Saul's reign between 1050 and 1010. And then, of course, David becomes the king after Saul from like 1010 to 970, I think. So that's where we are just on the landscape of history. A couple of things that are of interest to, uh, to note before we kind of pull one little juicy nugget out of this and explore it a little bit more. Um, so it's been like a little over 300 years since the Israelites have left the, uh, Egypt. They've gone through the Exodus, and they're now in the land. And it's one of these moments, again, we've talked about this before at Awaken. I want to call it like a sacred future kind of moment. And the definition that we've talked about is the sacred future is this moment where like the nexus, the unseen nexus of God's activity and our lives kind of intersect. And they become one in the same in a moment. And it's these, mo- these are like threshold kinds of moments, right? Where if you step through this moment or this door, you're not the same person that you were before. Don Miller talks about it in a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. It's, it's like, it's the, it's the door through which the protagonist can never return, right? These are threshold kinds of moments. They're epic. They're life. They're game changers. And I want to suggest that this is one of those kinds of moments for Israel, Also of note in this story, this is the first time that David ever speaks in the Bible, right? David, you know, King David, you know, the the, the guy, the the one, you know, the, the man after God's own heart. The first utterance of David in the entire story of the scriptures is, what happens to the guy who kills that guy? And then he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the living God, Yahweh? Who is this man? This is David's first utterance. I find that interesting. Um... And much like the, the, at the end of Deuteronomy, Israel is sort of like at this moment, and it's like, today I set before you life and death, blessings and curse, choose life. This is one of those kinds of moments. Now, um, and it's, it's this, Israel's faced with this choice of like, either you can step forward, you can step out in faith and move forward, or you can go back. Insert Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, right? You ever wish you could just go back? Man, coach would put me in. We'd have won state. I know it. I bet you I could throw that ball over that mountain. You guys know what I'm talking about. Come on now, right? <laughs> Uncle Rico. Like, did you ever, you, you just go back, you know, that kind of thing. That, that like, this is the moment. You got to get into it. It's two-dimensional. It's black and white on a page, on a page. But, like, this is huge. Have you ever had one of these moments in your life? So this is the kind of moment that Israel steps into. And I want to suggest that in these kinds of moments where you feel God speaking, where you sense God's presence, where you feel God like moving you, some people talk about it as like God calling your name, God speaking, those kinds of moments, I want to suggest that in the past, in the present, and into the future, there have always been and there always will be temptations, distractions, things that will, shiny objects that get people's attention like mine. 
that in these moments, there are always, and there, there always have been, and there will be temptations, things that will draw you away from or back from these kinds of moments and stepping into them. And I want to explore a few of these. That I, this, this story is, of, uh, is, is no different, that they're all over. So I want to explore a couple of these different um, temptations or distractions that we see in the story. The first is the voices that David hears, right? David, okay, you got to think about it. He's a dude. He's a person. Like, he's got flesh and blood, and he sweats, and he's got feelings and the whole deal. He's not some random pretend character, okay? This is a real person, and let's just imagine that David hears three different times, three different people who essentially question the essence of who he is. They call him, they call out, or they question, like, David's heart, his character, his essence. The first one we see is in verse 28. This is his brother. Man, this one just, nobody can relate to this one, right? Verse 28, Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking and burns with anger and says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Read between the lines here. You know those, in, those sheep who are of no consequence to anybody but you? Yeah, what'd you do with those guys? Because they're supposed to be your responsibility. You can hear the voice of an older brother here, right? Okay. So he says, where have you left those sheep? Like, do, who's taking care of those sheep? And then he says... I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You have only come to watch the battle. Like, where's your popcorn? Because you're not going to fight. You're just going to watch all the bloodshed because you think it's funny. Older brother, how, I mean, what does it mean? What, do, what does it mean for us to have a family member, someone who is of flesh and blood, totally not get you? What does it mean to have your own flesh and blood completely and utterly miss your heart? It's a good thing these stories are so old. They don't have anything to do with us. I was in a conversation not too long ago with uh, some family members of mine. It was right before the election, so as you can imagine, things turned towards the, uh, you know, things that were going to be talked about and voted on and whatnot, and one of the particular issues we were discussing has, you know, very, very significant theological uh, uh, nuances and, and, and as well as political, like a lot at stake here, and so we were discussing this, and it got kind of heated, and at one point, I, I said, it's, it feel, one, one particular family member and I were kind of like, you know, squaring off, uh, and I said, I feel like there is no room for me in you. Right? Like, you get what I'm saying here? I feel like there's no room for me in you. And the response was, you know what? Maybe you're right. Followed by, I'm tired of listening to you and you're wishy-washy. Like, you have no, like, you can't even, you won't even take a stand on something. I'm just, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. And quite frankly, I think you have a really low view of the Bible and that really concerns me based on what you do. Like, if you know me, you know what a misread that is. Like, I have such a deep, profound love and respect and pursuit of this story. And so to have somebody, like flesh and blood, right? This, and and then again, we talked about this time and time again in the story. Someone is right in front of you. 
and you can't see them. Like, who I am and who I, like the essence of me is completely looked over of, of no consequence, that kind of a moment. What does it mean for a family member to call into question who you are or to completely and totally miss the essence of who you are? That's one voice in the story. Verse 33, we get Saul's voice. Now we have kind of the religious, political authority, you know, the system, the voice of Saul. Yeah, a person in the story, certainly symbolic. Saul says, you're not able to go out and fight against the Philistine. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Again, David, David, if not arguably the most the greatest warrior king of Israel is standing right in front of Saul. And Saul's like, you can't fight him. You're just a kid. So what does it mean for the establishment, the authority, the power structure? The, the, David's own religious community says, you can't do that. You're not qualified for that. You're just a kid. You're a woman. You can't do that. Women don't. That's not your role. What does it mean for that group of people or a person representing that group to say those kinds of things to us? A a third voice is the voice of Goliath, verse 43 and 44. Goliath says, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks and this Philistine cursed him? Cursed David by his gods. Come here and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David's, David's enemy says to David, Who are you? You know, like, is this some sort of Christmas joke? You know? <laughs> I mean, look at this guy. Friends, these moments when God is present, however, whatever language you want to give to that, and there is a beckoning, an invitation, a call, a movement that you sense, I want to suggest that these are always wrought with distractions, temptations, voices saying, you know what, that's probably not, that you, you, you're not, you can't, right? I may have shared this story with you guys, but for me, this one, uh, this one was very, very real. Uh, not too long ago, I worked at a church uh, a, w- a while back, and a particular boss that I had, and I just did not get along, oil and water kind of deal, and I received a performance improvement plan. Anybody ever gotten one of those, performance improvement plan? This is code word for you better get your stuff together or you're going to get canned, just so you know, right? Uh, performance improvement plan, and uh, so I get this, and it's, and it's essentially, as I'm reading through this, it's like, it's less about, like, activities and, you know, like, responsibilities in my job and more about, like, I don't like you. And your personality really bothers me, and, and I think it bothers other people too. And so here's, here's a new version of you that I'd like you to live into, <laughs> right? It's kind of like, wow, ah, whew, right? So uh, in, in my, uh, I don't know where it came from, wisdom, I'm like, you know what? That's not me, and if that's who you want me to be, then I, I'm not your guy. And so I left, and here's the reason I tell you this story. The performance improvement plan. For whatever reason, I tucked it in my backpack, 
uh, after that, and I had this little secret compartment in my backpack that is, it's really difficult to find. I would tell people, hey, go look in my backpack, and they'd be like, I can't find it. I'm like, it's in the secret compartment. This is where this little guy went, this little performance improvement plan. And I, I didn't realize that it was in there until months later, I'm, you know, rifling through my backpack looking for something. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's in my secret compartment, right? I pull it out, and it's this performance improvement plan, and it's just like, oh, like all of the angst and bitterness and like those kinds of words, right? Just flood into my, and so, you know what I did? I put it back in there. And then I, I'm not kidding you, I carried this backpack around for like two years. Talk about a symbol of idiocy. <laughs> like who does that? Probably the only one though. So I carry this thing around for two years in my backpack. And literally, like, in this season where we were trying to decide, like, should we step out in faith and plant this church and, like, live into this thing that we feel God doing, uh, I was like, I cannot do this anymore. And, uh, I mean, this was a representation of someone, all of these voices, right? Someone who's calling these things out and saying, you can't do that, you're not qualified, you're da-da-da-da-da-da. And so I, I phoned uh, some of my best friends who know me the best, and I said, I need you. And they gathered around my fire pit in my backyard, and I said, here's this. I need you guys to, like, speak, uh, remind me of who I am and tell me the story of who I am again. And uh, so one by one around they went and shared, this is who you are, and this is, this is, this is, this is the, the truest sense of you and we're going to hold it up in front of you and invite you and beckon you to step into that and not that. And then we, you know, ceremonial, like, you know, church off and war, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we burned it. <laughs> it was all guys, you know. Was just, <laughs> we burned this thing and uh, never looked back, you know, that kind of a deal. And for me, in that moment, it was like the beauty and the essence of what community is about. These people who, who saw a, a version of me that I was living into and knew the real version of me and who just fearlessly held it up in front of me, as painful as it was to say there is a gap between who you think you are and who you are living out of and who you are. What if we started with the assumption that the people who knew us best and the community that we belong to always did that for us? Wouldn't that be a beautiful place? Where even when it was hard, like you knew that what they held up was the essence, the, the most true sense of you and invited you into that. This is one of the temptations, I think, in this story. I think a second one is certainly this idea of go back, like take the deal, settle, Insert Jim Carrey, liar, liar, settle, 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 right? And they're in the courtroom, and he gets this vision of like, oh my gosh, that's what they're offering? Why are we here? Settle, settle, settle. I love Jim Carrey. He's my favorite. It's like the Israelites, remember, remember, where have they come from? Like, this is a fresh story. It's not thousands and thousands of years old. This is, and these are, it's an oral culture. So this is passed on from people to person around the campfire. This is a story that's always told. God, Yahweh, has brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of, uh, of, of Egypt, out of exile. He's given you this land. He's promised you these things, and, and it's happened, and you're here. 
This is where they've come from. And yet, does anybody get the, uh, in the story, verse 9, what's the deal that Goliath sets out before the Israelites? Hey, send out one man. If he beats me, we're your slaves. If we beat you, back to Egypt. You're slaves. You're in exile again. The good rabbi I study with would say, what does it mean to be free and in the land and have exile and, and Egypt right in front of your face? Right? Here we stand in this moment. And the temptation, it's always easier to go back, isn't it? It's always easier to settle. I mean, listen to the Israelites throughout the Exodus story. Why have you brought us out here? Have you brought us out here to die? Like, listen, we had leeks and onions and garlic and melons. We had good food there. We had water. We weren't eating this manna, whatever this stuff is, over and over and over and over and over again. It's always easier to go back. And here stands David and Goliath. Here stands Israel and the Philistines. In the land, free people living with God, and yet right in front of their faces is this choice. And gang, we've talked about this before, but I, and I'm going to just keep going on this one because I think this is so critical. Faith and the life of faith, this thing that God invites us into, is n- belief is not the point. Like, belief is not the end goal, that you might believe X, Y, and Z about God and life and the world and you and me and sin. Like, if you hold to these propositions and I believe those things, yep, that's true, that's true, that's true, I believe those things. That is not the point. Anybody can do that. Anybody can believe. In fact, we all want to believe. Peter Rollins, who was just here, he said, you could fill stadiums selling belief. Everybody wants to do that. I mean, it's like fish in a barrel, you know? But trust and faith is a whole different deal because faith and trust actually requires you to move. It requires you to step out. It requires action. I mean, God's own, God's very essence and definition of God's self when Moses asks him, hey, who should I send, who should I tell this Pharaoh guy, you know, the most powerful person on the planet, who should I tell him sent me? What does God say? Tell him I am sent you, right? I, thanks, that's helpful. Um, I will be what I will be. Aye, a share, aye. God's definition, when asked, is the first person conjugation of the verb. Verb, verb. Not noun, the verb, to be. God in, his, in, in the self-referential definition of himself is an action, a verb, not a noun, not a property, not, not like some sort of static thing. Faith and trust is this invitation to move and to step out. Belief, anybody can do that. There's always this temptation to go back, to settle. And I would say, maybe lastly, and this kind of leads me to that, versus this, this one is just dynamite. I th- this is a juicy one. I read this story probably like 10 times in, in, in prep for this one. And when I, when I saw this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Verse 16 says, for 40 days, 40 days, anybody heard that number before? 
Right. Couple of interesting, pivotal stories in the scriptures with the number 40 in it, right? BTW, uh, 40, often something is dying, something is being born. How many weeks are little ones in the utero? 40 weeks, okay? Come on now. 40 days, the Philistines, every morning and every evening. So like 80 times Goliath has come out and done this deal. 80 times. Now, here's what the Israelites do. 17. Now, Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain, these 10 loaves of bread, take it for your brothers, take along these cheeses, see how your brothers are. By the way, the, the, the language there is see to the shalom of your brothers. We've talked about this before. Podcast, go back if you want to. I can't do it right now. Um, see to the shalom of your brothers. They're with Saul. They're all fighting. Early in the morning, now get this, David left the flock in, in the care of a shepherd, which is like, hey, bro, Braham, who thinks, yeah, the sheep are fine. I've taken care of that too. Loaded up and set out. He reached the camp as the army, get this, as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. <laughs> okay, so imagine the Israelites, 40 days, every day, put on their armor, Get their swords, like rally cry, come on, we're going to get them, guys. They go out to the deal, Goliath does his thing, and they all go back to camp. You want to know what they do? Want to know what they do the next day? They put on their armor, they got their swords, they go out to camp. Today's the day, boys, we're going to get them. They go out there and Goliath, and they go back to camp. For 40 days, this goes on. I think that's hilarious. There is a temptation to like play this out, but never actually do it. Am I preaching yet? There is this temptation to like do this thing, you know, to come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, year after year after year after year, decade after decade after decade, and still treat your neighbor with contempt. There is this temptation and this possibility that somehow we do these things and we participate in these communities so that the people around us will think a particular thing about who we are and what we believe and what we will do, and then we go back and we treat our spouse terribly, we treat our kids terribly, we treat our coworkers terribly, we extort people around us. That's possible to come out, put the armor on, stand up and be like, ah, we're going to get them today, and then just walk back. There will come a moment where you will actually have to forgive your mom or your dad, your brother or your sister who has not seen you. There will come a moment when you have to actually stand up for the person who's being oppressed. There will come a moment when you have to stand up for the person who has no voice. There will come a moment when you actually have to step into this thing that God is inviting you. You believe it's easy. Faith, trusting that Yahweh is Yahweh, that these things that we have seen and we have heard are actually true. Now that is an adventure. That is the adrenaline of standing on this precipice and before you is life and the possibility of, like, now that will get your blood going. Religion, 
just doing this thing over and over, week after week, year after year, that's boring. And when people get bored, it's bad news brown. You know, bad news bears, you guys remember that? This is all kind of, when people get bored, they do crazy things. Let me close by saying that I think it's easy. This story, I mean, it's like, bazingo, you know, huge story of the Bible. This is David and Goliath, you know, we're talking about, I love this story. Like when he, when David responds to the Israelites and then he responds to Goliath, it's like, cue the Braveheart music, war pain, the horse going, you have defied the armies of the living God, but I tell you what, not today, you're going down, buddy. I mean, this is the kind of story that we're talking about here. I love this story. You gotta, you gotta try to get into it. I mean, really, you know, like the best, that kind of a epic sort of like good and evil. That's what we're talking about here. And I think it's easy sometimes to to sort of like say David, like wow, this guy. I mean, courage and unbelievable, you know, like character and go get him. Listen to what David says to Saul. He says, "The Lord, the word that that the scribes wouldn't write." Yahweh, the Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. To Goliath, he says, to this day, the Lord will deliver me from, deliver you into my hands, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I mean, it's that big And the story often can be that complex, and yet it's just that simple. Either there is a God in Israel, or there isn't. Either there is a God who reveals himself to us in Jesus, or there isn't. And the conviction of this bloke who stands before you today is that there is. And this God invites you to step out in faith and in trust that the things that we have heard and that we have seen are actually true. That this God is faithful. And that in this God is all of love and all of beauty and all of goodness and all. And that this is the God who invites us to walk in faith. Not to believe, but to walk it out. So that's the invitation. I don't know where, I I recognize that could land a million different places for wherever you are today. But I trust that the Spirit of God is that present to each of us. And so I'll leave it at that. I'm going to ask Ben to come and uh, we're going to close. Abraham Joshua Heschel once said, to be a Jew is to remember. To be a Jew is to remember. And so Jesus, on the last night, uh, with his friends, was with them and broke bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you, and this is my blood, which is shed for you, and a new covenant that is written for you. Whenever you eat and drink, remember. Remember. And so as you come today, Uh, wherever this might land, 
there's an invitation to remember who God is and what God has done and an invitation to what might be what's out in front of you, what God might be inviting you into, beckoning you, calling you, probing, prodding, provoking you to. Now, if there are any kids in the room, um, we've been doing this Eat This Book series, and the rabbis who would teach the little boys and girls would teach them the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and when they learned them, they would give them, they would make them in honey, and when they learned them, they would give them to the, to the boys and girls and say, may the word of God be like honey on your lips. And so we've started this tradition of uh, something like that. And so if you'd like, um, come on up when, we, when, when all the, the parents come up and uh, we'll give you some honey um, to taste on your lips. And heck, if you're an adult and you want to taste some honey, I'll give you honey. But um, there's red wine and white grape juice. Uh, there's gluten-free options up here. Um, by the bar. So if you're serving communion, if you would, make your way forward. Let me offer a word of prayer, and then I'd invite you to come and to remember. Let's pray with me. God, as we gather in this space and gather around this table, which reminds us of the things that are the most true, that there is a God in Israel, and that this God has made himself known in a person named Jesus who bore all of the things that we were never intended for, took them on himself and offers new life, offers an invitation of faith and trust. And so God, as we receive this bread and this cup and we remember, may we also hear and sense your voice beckoning, calling, inviting us, reflecting to us the truest sense of who we are, the ones that you made us to be. And may we, by faith and with courage, take whatever step is next towards that and towards you. We pray this in your name. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.